Good morning, everyone. And special welcome to those of you who join us online. Uh, even though you're online, I don't get to see all of you, but I, we all consider you a part of our family uh, here in FCC. As long as you're tuning in regularly uh, to observe and, and to, to join us in our service. Are you ready for God's Word this morning? Okay, if you're ready, you know, how many of you enjoyed Pastor Dan Yen's uh, preaching last week? Uh, where he talked about life and the unpredictability of life and all that, and, and it's beautiful. And, and we particularly love the fact that he tell all of us to go out and enjoy our meals, enjoy our relationships, enjoy our marriage. And I know many of you are living it up out there, okay? And today, I'm going to pick up where Pastor Dan has left off, and I, I'm going to uh, share something which I've entitled Recalibrating Your Inner Compass. And it's actually going to be something that is tied up to what Pastor Dan took us last week. Now, let me introduce my subject this way before I read you the word. I first told my family that I am going to answer a call to full-time Christian ministry when I was about 22 or 23 years old. And I, I remember, if I, if I remember it correctly, I actually did it during a family gathering where all the extended family were there, my uncle, aunties, and all of, I think it was Chinese New Year gathering of sort. And I, that was when I first made my announcement, I'm going to become a pastor. And immediately after I made the announcement, one of my uncles, who is a businessman, pulled me aside and gave me a pep talk, okay? And the pep talk goes something like this. He says, Benny, why do you want to do this? Are you stupid or what? Go and make money while you're young. Religion can come when you retire. Now, that's the typical mindset of this pragmatic world where we, we somehow believe that the race is all, will always belong to the fastest, the smartest, you know, the strongest, the richest. We always think that way. There's a basic philosophy that drives society today. And, and there's nothing wrong with all of that. There's nothing wrong with, want, with being strong or being smart. Of course, we want, we want to have all that. But to think that the answer to life is just make sure that we are aggressive, to make sure we are strong and smart and rich, is that the answer to life? Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11 and 12 that I'm going to bring you to actually alluded to this idea and then he poked holes at it, okay? So I'm going to invite you now to go with me uh, to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11 and 12, where the wise men open our eyes to see another perspective, that there are times when we need to expect the unexpected, okay? So you go with me now, Ecclesiastes chapter 9. I read for you the next two verses, uh, picking up from where Pastor Dan left off. Listen to this. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 11. I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favour to be learned to the learned. But time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come. And by this, he's referring to death, okay? We never know when your hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net, or birds are taken in a snare, so people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. Let's bow. We have a quick word of prayer. Father, I thank you for your word that week to week nourishes us and instructs us. It gives us perspective of life from you, not just from us. 
But God, you allow us through your word to have a perspective of life that goes beyond our finite understanding. So I invite you this, this, this morning to come and speak to us and allow your word to inspire us and to instruct us. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Now, before I open up the scriptures for you, I need you to understand that these two verses in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 is what we would call a transitional passage. It is a passage that acts like a pivot, you know, to help us transit from one train of thought to another that seemingly appears to be disconnected or, or to be contradictory, but actually they are not. Okay, and sometimes, you know, when people are talking, you can find that they make one point and then they make another point. The two points don't actually connect, but actually they do connect. But what, what we need is something to transit us from one thought to another. So what is happening here is this. Remember last week, Pastor Dan told us, right, in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 1 to 10, the, the main thing that the, the author was, was teaching us is this, that in the light of the fact that life is short, Life is, un, uh, is so short, so enjoy your meals, enjoy your marriage, enjoy your relationship, live it up. And what he's saying is almost like from verse 1 to 10, the wise man was telling us that, that we need to live life to the limits, you know, have a blast while it lasts. And then you notice from verse 13 onwards, you read the rest of verse 13 onwards, he begins to tell us another idea. The idea is this, life is short, we also need to live it wisely. Don't just live it up, but live it wisely. And that two ideas seems almost contradictory. They seem disconnected. So he used Ecclesiastes 9, verse 11 and 12, which I'm going to unpack for you this morning, to help us transit from the first idea that Pastor Dan alluded to, and then next week we're going to talk about living wisely that Pastor Amos is going to take us into. But these are the transition that take us in. Okay? And he gives us a certain context so that we can see how the two connect. And the context basically is this, that yes, live life to the limits, enjoy life, but at the same time, be wise, live wisely. Why? Because man is not fully in charge. That's the idea, man is not fully in charge. We are not the masters of our own fate. We are not the captains of our own soul. We are not totally in, in control of everything in life. How many of you agree with that? Right? We are not totally in control. In life can hand us all kinds of things. A curveball can come from anywhere. And just when you think everything is going well, boom, a curveball can come. Something unexpected happened and boom, everything can change. And people understand that. And therefore, we need to make sure in the light of all this, in the light of we have, anything can happen, in light of this, we need to make sure that our inner compass, the inner compass of our heart is oriented to the right purpose. And then our lives can be lived wisely. And to help us understand this, the wise man points out two things in verse 11 and 12 that can give us a better perspective, a more whole, wholesome perspective to life. And the two things he instructs us today is this. Number one, the means of life we cannot presume. First thing he teaches us is this, the means of life that God has given to us or, or the means of life that we can attain, we cannot presume on them. Look at verse 11. I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong. 
nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favour to the learned, but time and chance, uh, watch this, time and chance happen to them all. Now, when you read this in the English, sometimes it doesn't kick, you know, it doesn't spring out as much, but when you look at the Hebrew text, in Hebrew language, they have a lot of focus on emphasis. You know, when you read the Hebrew text, certain words are emphasized, and those emphasis give us an idea of what the author is saying. So when you look at this verse, verse 11, in the Hebrew text, the emphasis is on a little word, no, not, N-O-T, not, or no. The NIV translation don't capture it as well. I show you the King James Version. It put it clearer. It goes like this. The race is not, that's the emphasis, is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the, to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favour to men of skill. In other words, what the wise man is saying is this, and don't miss this, what the wise man is saying is this, success is not what you think it is. Get me? The emphasis is on this, that this, all these are our definitions of success, but he says, no, success is not what you think it is. The pragmatists will, will want us to believe that the race is always the fastest, the strongest, the smartest, the richest, but that's not always true. Many people put our trust in our health, our wealth, our wit, our wisdom, but these are undependable. Why? Because life is unpredictable. Life is not we are not in control. Life is not predictable. Curveballs can come from everywhere. Stuff can happen in life. If you don't believe, ask Muhammad Ali, three times world boxing champion. When I was growing up, he was like every one of us, well, my generation, we look forward to watch him in, his, in, 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 in the ring. You know, in his heydays, you remember, Pastor Ching Lai surely will remember this. We even, this guy was so well-known, he was so respected. We even have a song written about him that goes like this. He stings, uh, he danced like a butterfly, he stings like a bee. Remember that song? No, it was about this man in the ring, you know, he made boxing such an art. It's such an art form that when he's in the ring, they said he dances like a butterfly, he stings like a bee. But now, then what happened? He was stricken all of a sudden with Parkinson's disease. And he ended up, he cannot even speak without slurring. In an interview that he did near the end of his life, he said this, you know, I had the world at my feet at one time. But look at me now. I have absolutely nothing to show for it. Anything can happen. Life is unpredictable. We are not in control. Max Lucado, the famous uh, Christian author, was the one who coined this phrase that I like very much. He said, the pole of power is greasy. I like that. The pole of power is greasy. You know, we struggle to climb all the way to the top. Only it's so, it's so greasy, you can just fall down all just like that in one instance. And we have all seen in life, right, the fastest runner sometimes can lose the race also. The weaker players can end up winning the game. Some of the best football teams, they don't make it to the finals. <laughs> Why? Because life is unpredictable. Do, all, do the best team always win? No. Do the smartest people make the most money all the time? Not necessarily. In fact, you can be smart, very smart, and I put you in a country where the economy is struggling. You, you, you may not survive as well. 
But on the contrary, you know, just thinking about this season, on the contrary, if you've got some money in the last six to nine months, all you need to do is to lease all the technology stocks in a, on a paper, you pin it on a dart board, you stand in the distance, you take darts and throw. Wherever the dart land, you just buy that company. Most likely, you make some money already. Uh, this doesn't mean that you're the smartest investor. Maybe not. You just happen to be the right place at the right time. It just so happened that COVID-19 has drove the market down and then all the government handout had drove the market back up and you just happened to land there. Are you, are you with me? Just life is not always about us. The wise man put it this way, you know, he said, time and chance happen to them all. And that word chance in the Hebrew, actually pega, which actually means in this context, unfavorable circumstances that are unforeseen. That unfavorable things, unforeseen circumstances can happen to every one of us. And it does not matter if we are swift or strong or smart or skillful, time and chance can overtake us all. Now, please understand, I'm not saying, therefore, we should not seek to be stronger or smarter or wiser. Of course, we want all this. But the point I'm making is this. Sometimes the smart can make the most of time and procedure. Remember two weeks ago, we talked about this. There's a proper time and procedure. And the smart knows how to make the use of it. The, 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 the wisest know how to make use of it. But only God is in control of time and chance. Man can, if we, are, if, we, if we live wisely, if we are smart, we actually can make the best of time and procedure and processes. But only God controls time and chance. And in the light of the uncertainties of life, our aim in life is now not just to do the things that will make us the fastest and the strongest and the smartest, but we need to ask ourselves, why are we doing what we are doing. With me? It's not just about what I'm doing, but why am I doing what I'm doing? We cannot depend on the means of life to make ourselves the greatest and the best, but we need to go deeper and actually ask ourselves, what is the meaning of all this? Otherwise, we will end up with greater means in life, but we don't have meaning to live for. You know, it's easy to increase our means for making a living and then we don't actually have the meaning of life and then we miss the plot. It's not just about having increased means of living, but more importantly, it is to know the meaning of life. You know, it's so easy for every one of us to end up just enjoying uh, ourselves by doing what we want, eat, drink and be merry, but we have never really enjoyed life the life that God actually ordained for us. But we just end up enjoying the things of life, but we don't really end up living the life that God intended for us. And how many of you agree? You cannot, how can you enjoy life unless you first know what life is all about? And how can you know what life is all about unless we first know God, the giver of life? It starts there by knowing who God is. He's the giver of life. And then we will know the meaning of life. And so you listen to this statement, which I like very much. Too many people live life with a clock 
but not a compass. Can I say it again? Too many people live life with a clock, but not a compass. The clock actually speaks of our commitment. It speaks of our appointments. It speaks of our goals, our schedules, our activities, our pursuits, you know, what to do and when to do them. That's the clock. Okay, but we need a compass. The compass speaks of our purpose. It speaks of our vision. It speaks of our direction, our mission, our values. So the clock actually details the what and the when, but it is the compass that actually defines the why. Why am I doing all this stuff that I'm doing? You know, so you live by the clock, then you know, okay, tomorrow I got to do this, Tuesday I got to do that, you know. So you got all your activities lined up, you got all these schedules that you have to follow, all these things that you have to do, but only the compass, the inner compass of our heart tell us why we do all this stuff. Are you with me? We don't just want to end up going, running around with just the clock without a compass. When there's a gap between the clock and the compass, we end up doing things that do not necessarily contribute to our sense of calling and destiny that God has given to us. You see? And, and this is when we begin, once there's a gap between the, the clock and the compass, that's when we begin to feel a sense of lostness. You know, we begin to have this deep feeling of dissatisfaction and sometimes emptiness. You know, life becomes mechanical. Life becomes meaningless. We end up busy, but we are not quite sure what we're busy about. Because there isn't that compass. We only got a clock. So we got a calendar that is full, but we don't have a compass that is clear. And I think that's an important thing to look at. Therefore, it's very important. Examine our purpose. What is the meaning behind everything that we do? Why do we do what we do? This is what gives us a sense of purpose and destiny. And we live life, with a, once we live life with a clear inner compass, calibrated to the call of God for our life, then I think we begin to carry out our clock with a whole lot more meaning. So rather than just to seek to be the richest, fastest, strongest, smartest, more importantly, we ask ourselves, am I living according to God's will and purpose for my life? Am I living by the clock or am I living by the compass? Am I just driven by my schedules on the outside or am I really driven by a sense of destiny on the inside? That's an important question. The means of life we cannot presume because they, they can come and go. But the second thing the wise men tell us is this, the mortality of life we cannot predict. The mortality of life, how long is life going to last? No one can predict. Look at verse 12 now. He goes on to say this, Moreover, no man knows when his hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a, in a trap, so men are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. Here the wise man goes on to tell us about the mortality of human life. And how many of you do agree, right? That no one, none of us here knows when death described here as evil times, will actually come upon us. And in the light of this, we must not only enjoy life, which is what we learn from verse 1 to 10, but we must also do so with eternity in mind. You've got to enjoy life, but do it with eternity in mind. And the wise man here reminds us, death is not only certain for all men, but it can also be sudden for some. Right? Death is not only certain for every one of us, but for some of us, death can be sudden. 
So the wise man goes on to give us two illustrations to illustrate the idea that, that death can be sudden. He brings out two things. Number one, fish that is caught in a net. And the second is birds that are caught in a trap. Now, we all know, right? No fish ever anticipate to be caught in a net. You know? no, no, um, no bird is ever anticipate to be, to be trapped. You know? the, this is sudden. It's the emphasis is of both these pictures are in the suddenness that caught them. It's a curveball, the unexpectedness of it all. And in the same way, man also, things, unexpected things can happen to us. Death for some come very suddenly too. Okay, so you look at James chapter 4, verse 13 to 15. Listen to what uh, James says here. Now listen, you who said, Today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while, havel, right? And then it vanishes. But instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. The suddenness of things. We are not in control of everything. And that's why we need to live life not just fully, but also wisely. We don't just want to lift it up, but we also need to live it right. We don't just want to live vigorously, but we also want to live righteously. So two things He gives to us. The means of life, you cannot presume. They come and go. And the mortality of life, you cannot predict because we never know. The unexpected can happen. Okay, now, in the light of this, since we cannot presume on the means of life, we cannot predict the mortality of life, what then should men do? And this is the main lesson I want to leave with you. Jeremiah 9, verse 23 to 24. Listen to the words of the prophet, and I think it's so good. He says, Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boasts of his strength, or the rich man boasts of his riches. But let him who boasts, boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, righteousness on earth, for in this I delight. The answer to life is not to boast in, the, in our wisdom or our wealth or all this, but the answer is to boast in the fact that we know God. We know God. And once we know God, the giver of life, we will have an understanding of the meaning of life. And once you know the meaning of life, that's when you can understand the purpose of life. You see, when, when God measures the worth of a man, you look at what Jeremiah says, right? When God measures the worth of a man, He does not base it on prosperity or posterity, how long you live, but on, not on power. He never gauges the greatness of human life just based on performance or possession or position or prestige, all these are just means, okay, by which man measures success in this world. But how does God measure success? And I've, been, and I've seen so many different definitions, but I was surprised to actually find one that I really like. And it's, not, and it's actually found in Webster's Dictionary. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about this. Uh, this is an interesting discovery for me. Uh, Webster's Dictionary actually gives a very, very good definition of success. And, uh, but before I tell you what it is, um, let me just share with you how Webster came up with this brilliant definition. Uh, here's, here's a 
the story behind the story, okay? It's interesting that the person who gave us Webster's Dictionary is a guy by the name of Noah Webster. And Noah Webster actually became a Christian somewhere along in his journey of life. He became a Christian, very devoted one. And after he came to Christ, he wanted to contribute to society by guarding the meaning of words. And the reason is because he knew that once the meaning of words are distorted, ideas will also become distorted. So he was very convinced about that. If you let a, a meaning of a word gets distorted, the ideas will get distorted. So he wanted to protect the meaning of words. So in his dictionary, Webster's Dictionary, he defines success as this. And I think it really captured the meaning of the word. And it goes like this. He said, success is the favorable or prosperous termination of anything attempted. A, a termination which answers the purpose intended. Now, of course, this is written a long time ago, so the language is a bit archaic, but the idea is good. It goes like this. The what is success? It is the favorable or prosperous termination. That means it's a good outcome. Okay, that's success. A good outcome of anything attempted. But he added this line. An outcome which answers the purpose intended. Don't miss this. It's a good outcome, but it is a good outcome that answers the intended purpose. So you notice that Webster did not define success in terms of performance. It's not a performance or a position word, but he defines it as a purpose word. That's very important. It's rooted in purpose. It's not just rooted in purely in success, uh, in, in, in performance. It's not rooted in, a, in the final position we are in. It is rooted in purpose. That's why we will never hear God say to us, well done, thou good and faithful CEO. No, it's not going to be like that. It's not rooted in a position or even a performance. It's rooted ultimately in the sense of purpose. You see, so, but God will always judge a man by his purpose. Success is measured by that. The question to ask, therefore, for all of us, listen, brothers and sisters, don't miss this. The question to ask, therefore, is not, are you successful? But the question to ask is, what are you succeeding in? What are you succeeding at? That's the question. One can appear successful, but if we have sacrificed the things that matters most at the altar of success, then we actually could be a failure. You know, I could actually end up being the, a billionaire, but if I have sacrificed my family on the altar of that success, I'm actually a failure. Are you with me? Ultimately, it's rooted in purpose. So if I can turn out to be the, my business can really prosper, but if I have sacrificed my integrity to gain that success, then actually, I'm not a successful person. I'm actually a failure. Why? Because it's rooted ultimately in purpose. See, you can be a billionaire, you can be a CEO, a businessman, a janitor, a cleaner, or even just a car park attendant. If we take our job and we consecrate our vocation to God, and we, 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 if I'm a, a cook, and if I'm cooking for the glory of God, I'm cooking with God in my heart, then you know what? You are successful. Not because of your position or your performance, but because of your purpose. Whatever God has given to me in my role in life, be it um, a, 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 a businessman or, or, or a plumber or whatever it is, as long as I'm doing it, 
out of a sense of call from God. I think that's where it's rooted in. It's not rooted in just performance or position, but because of your purpose. So I ask you today, brothers and sisters, what is your purpose in your life? For whom are you living this life? For what are you living this life? You know, I speak to all kinds of people and uh, I relate to all kinds of leaders. If I speak to a relational person, at the end of that conversation, I will walk away feeling like people is the most important thing. If I speak to a task-orientated person, I will walk away feeling like results is the most important thing. If I speak to someone who is uh, meticulous or very detailed, I walk away feeling like details is the thing, man. You've got to get the details right. You know, if I speak to a visionary, you know, someone that's very dreamy, has a lot of vision and plans and purposes, I walk away feeling like the mission, the project, you know, that, that cost is very, very important. Important. When I speak to a businessman, you can walk away feeling like money is the thing. You've got to make profits. I wonder if you speak to Jesus, what will you walk away with? Have you ever asked yourself? You know, we talk to all kinds of people, we walk away feeling like the most important thing is this or that. If you talk to Jesus and you walk away, what do you think is really utmost in his mind? Now, of course, I believe that people is important to Christ. I believe that, you know, the cause is important to Christ. That's why we had the Great Commission and all that, right? I believe that results is important to Christ. He is, he's, 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 he's able to do many, many things. But when I look at his life, there is one thing that supersedes them all, more than results, more than people, more than anything. One thing really stands out in the life of our Lord Jesus. You know what that is? I believe it is the will of God. It is the will of God. The one thing that drives the life of our Lord Jesus, it boils down to this. What is the will of God for me? And Jesus said it, you know, himself in John 6, 38. He said this, My meat is to do the will of the Father who sent me. That's a starting point. And with that, you know, Jesus, he knew the will of the Father for him was to go to the cross so that redemption can come to mankind. So what did he do in this life? He set his face like a flint towards Jerusalem and he walked towards it. The moment his ministry was inaugurated, he set his face to Jerusalem and he walked intentionally towards the will of the Father. Took him three and a half years to get there, but he got there and in the end, did what the Father wanted him to do. That was his, the purpose of his life. Hello, got me? That was the purpose of his life. And all of his life was surrounded by one thing. I want to do the will of the Father. And the Apostle Paul put it this way in Philippians 3, verse 13 and 14. This one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God had called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. It's about the will of God. What does God want for me? King David put it this way in Psalms 27, 4. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. No wonder he became the man after God's own heart. He said to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to seek him in his temple. No wonder they call him the psalmist of Israel. 
That was the one thing that drives him. Mary shared the same purpose. Luke 10, 36, right? Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried, upset about many things, but one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it shall not be taken away from her. The primary focus of the believer ultimately revolves around glorifying God by doing the will of the Father. Overarching thing, I think, is just love the Lord, love the Lord, seek the Lord, save the Lord. It's a great commandment, the great commission. And once we get that overarching thing, seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness, all these other things will be added unto us. Our purpose will then determine our destiny in life. Let me take all that and put it down to practical terms, okay? By this time, you could be asking, Pastor Benny, I agree with you. The, the primary superseding thing in my life must be to do the will of God. But where do I start to discern God's purpose for my life? Where do I start to know the will of God? Now, most of the time, when we try to answer a question like that, most of us will start, you know, so how do I know what is God's call for me? Most of us will start by looking inwardly at ourselves. We ask questions like, so what are my giftings? You know, where, where are my strengths? You know, what am I passionate about? What are the desires of my heart? Now, there's nothing wrong with asking those questions because they, they do point you in the right direction because our calling and our destiny cannot be divorced, right, from all this that forms so much a part of us. They are our inner wiring, that which God put into us already. So yes, these are good questions to ask. They point us in the right direction. But my point for all of us today is this. Listen to me. That is not the starting point. They are good questions to ask. And we need to ask those questions that to ultimately discern God's will and purpose for our life. But that is not the starting point. Where then is the starting point? I believe the starting point to discerning God's will for our life is not by looking inward. It is by looking upwards. Because ultimately, ultimately, my calling is not rooted in what I want for my life. It is rooted in what God wants for my life. How many of you will amen that? It's not about what I want. It's about what God wants. And when you look upwards to Jesus, you find that He has this one overriding priority, which is the will of God. The will of God is of utmost importance to our Lord Jesus, and it must be of utmost importance to all of us. If you would begin, the first thing we do to begin to search for that, that what, is the, what is God's call for me? The starting point is this. Take that inner compass and orient it firstly to true north, which is what? I am here not to do my will. I am here to do the will of the Father. It starts here. My utmost importance in my life is to do the will of God. Jesus defined it so definitively in John 4, 34. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. In other words, my food, my sustenance, my fulfillment, my passion, my focus, my calling is to do the will of my Father, whatever that will may be. And it's so clear. He says, my, the one overriding drive in my life is to do the will of God. You know, and it is pure. I think it's unadulterated. It is so simple. It's so uncluttered, you know. It is so singular. It's so uncompromised. It's so simple. 
What is your life for? He bring it down to bare minimum. My life is to do the will of God. That's, it's so simple you know, to me, but bear in mind, uh, simple doesn't mean easy. It's simple, but it's not, not necessarily easy because sometimes God's will and our will can collide. And when that collision takes place, that's where we struggle. And until we overcome, until we come to that place of surrender and say, God, in the end, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus said His will is to do the... The, my food is to do the will of the Father who sent me and to finish His work. It's simple, but it's not easy. How do I know? You read Mark 14, 36. In the Garden of Gethsemane, He struggled with God. Literally did. Struggled so hard until blood came out of His. Blood came out like sweat all over Him. What a struggle it is. He struggled so hard, the capillaries broke, you know. And blood began, He sweated blood literally. And you read Mark 14, 36, he said, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. If at all possible, please, Lord. I don't want to do this. Who, he, he didn't go and enjoy the cross, you understand? He endured the cross. But in the end, he went through this struggle and he came through by saying, yet not what I will, but what you will. Not my will, but yours be done. You know, in life, there are many things I want, but they don't happen. In the end, it's not what I want, it's what God wants. My dream, you know, when I first came out and uh, studying and all that, I want to be rich. And I look around and I said, there are only a few things that can get me there. The best is businessmen. I always wanted to be a businessman. I think I still got a little bit of that inside me. You know? <laughs> I want to be rich. I want to be a businessman. I really want to. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, if that is God's desire for me, for me God's will for me, I think I'll make it. No, no, I shouldn't say that. that a bit arrogant. No? Sorry. But you know, online, you know. But, <laughs> but you get my point? Yeah, I want to. But that was not God's will for me. In the end, it's not about what I want. It's what God wants. You know, and, and it's one thing to know God's will. It's quite another thing to do God's will. It's one thing to seek God's will. It's another thing to surrender myself to a point where I actually be surrendered to do His will. And that's the truth. And what a model our Lord Jesus left us, you know, when He willingly surrendered to the will of the Father and He did it. And to our Lord Jesus, Doing God's will is of paramount importance. And brothers and sisters, we, we, in a disciple-making church, we need to understand this is the cornerstone of Christian discipleship, to do the will of God. What is my life for? What is your life for? It is to do the will of God. How do I know God's will? It don't start by looking within ourselves. It's not by looking inward. You start by looking upwards. You start by taking this heart, orient it back to God, recalibrate it to true north, and say, God, not my will, but yours be done. And until we have that posture of surrender and yieldedness, you will never be able to discern what God wants for you. That's the starting point. 
orientate our hearts back to God. My meat is to do the will of the Father who sent me and to finish His work. Amen. Why don't we stand together, shall we? Thank you, Lord. We take a few moments this morning just to come into the